Yo. All right, feel free to take a seat, y'all. Nice. Sweet. Well, so glad you guys made it here tonight. If I haven't met you before, my name's Adam. I am the church planting resident here at Mountain View Community Church, but only, <laughs> only for two more months, because then I'm going to be a church planting pastor, not a church planting resident. Things will change. And so super glad to be with you guys here tonight. It's bittersweet for me, because this is my last one. This is my last one. I'm ne I'll never forget coming here two years ago, and Micah giving me some crazy stuff to preach that I'd never preached uh, out of Judges. It was really wild. And now here we are two years later, and this is the last one. So it's, it's sad, but it's also exciting. Why is it exciting? Because we're going to start something new. And in fact, there's a lot of you in here. Some of you just haven't graduated yet, and others just graduated. A lot of you in here who are actually going with us on the church plan. Lay a round of applause for that. I mean, how sweet is it? For young people to look at their lives and be like, yo, I don't know what I'm going to do after college, but I'm free, and I love the Lord, and I'm willing to take a risk, and I'm willing to count the cost. I'm willing to step out to some new place, no guarantee of success, but it's worth the risk to me. That's what a lot of people here in this room uh, are, are saying before they come with us. It's really, it's really is nuts, honestly, the fact that we have uh, 19 adults and most of them are 23 and under that said yes to that. Um, Kingdom-minded people, because nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? Nothing ventured, nothing gained. And so the question of what do you do with your life? What should you do with your life? Kind of an important question, right? Because if you don't have any what, you never get off the couch in the first place, all right? If we don't have a what, we just stay there. We don't move. We just don't we stay on the couch like a neutered pet or something, all right? We don't move. We don't do anything. That's the what, okay? We all have to ask what our what is. The reason is because your life matters, okay? Your life is valuable, and you can actually make a really, really large impact, even in a small, obscure part of the world. Your life matters, and what you do with your life matters. But you know what else matters as much as the what? The how how you decide to go about what you're going to do. Because there's a lot of different ways you can do it. I don't, I don't just mean like this way works better than this way. I mean also like integrity. I mean character. How you go about what you decide to go do. Because you can do it ways that are high character and reflective of God or, or ways that are low. I'm reading this nuts book right now. What are we trying to do here? Make money. How are we going to do it? Maximize every possible minute trying to get uh, anyone in the world to spend as many possible minutes on our app. That's how we make money. So how are we going to do that? Well, there's a lot of different ways, but as it turns out, pissing people off, filling people with hate, stressing people out with fear, these emotional, super powerful emotional parts of who we are cause us to stay on them. And they didn't even set out necessarily to do that on purpose. They just figured out, yo, they stay on the platform longer if we do this. And now here we are in 2023, and social media is a freaking out-of-control train, right? And People were sitting in this room, and this is just kind of how things developed, right? This is how things developed. The how didn't really matter. All that mattered was the what. And now here we are. I have another friend who started a business. 
It's actually this, this business. I, I didn't even mean to wear this sweatshirt. I'm not trying to be cutesy or anything. Like I, just, I, I was preparing, and I was like, oh, I'm wearing it. But my friend started this company. Um, it was a restaurant. It, over time, it, it grew and did well, and then he started this brand offshoot with the restaurant. It's a food company. And eventually, it sold, and he gathered investment from his friends and his family at, at the beginning, and it grew slowly over time, and those friends and family that put money in got more money back. It was awesome. The how really mattered to him. He's a real loyal guy. And, um, and it was awesome for me to work with him, let alone the investors that were invested in him, right? The how matters as much as the what. And you know what else matters as much as the how? The why. The why matters just as much as the what and the how. Because without the why, without the why, there's no fuel. Without the why, there's no fire. There's no passion. There's no zeal. There's no purpose. The why, if the what is getting off the couch, the why is why you get out of bed. What gets you up? What fires you up and gets you up? That's the why, right? <clears throat> it's also why you stand up when you get knocked down. If you have conviction of calling and, and, and you're sold out for the why you're doing something, well, then if stuff goes wrong, it doesn't matter. You know why you're here. It's because stuff is going to go wrong, right? Life's going to slap you sometimes. The question is, then what? Then what are you going to do? If you got a why, you're going to get up, right? The what matters. The how matters, and the why matters. All three of these things matter. And they, these things, by the way, they make up who you are. They make up who you are in life. And the Bible speaks to what they should be. And so my question to you is, what's your what and your how and your why for your life, for the things that you do? What's your what and your how and your, and your why? We're going to be in First Peter tonight. Uh, Andrew kicked that off for us last week. And we're in First Peter 1, 13 through 2, 12. And Aaron's going to read it for us. Aaron, if you wouldn't mind coming up. <clears throat> it's a longer passage. It's like 26 verses, but I just am so convicted. I love the public reading of God's Word. I think it has power, and I think it's awesome. So Aaron's going to read this for us straight through here. It's also going to be on the screen behind you. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the rev revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth of, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but those who do not who do not believe the stone that is that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone assembling and a rock of offense. This the stumble they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were not received once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. Give it up for Aaron. 26 verses. So, like I said, Andrew kicked us off last week, the first message in 1 Peter, okay? He gave us a lot about the historical context and about how we have this living hope even in the midst of suffering, okay? And our text today, I don't, I don't know if you notice, is kind of like a, okay, so then what? How should we then live? In light of what Andrew preached on, how should we then live? And, you know, I think there was like six, seven, eight what, whys, what, hows, and whys, right? There's a lot of them. But I just picked three. I picked three that I think are thematic, enigmatic, exemplary of what they are, okay, of what this text is about. So here's the first one. Verse 15. Go back to the beginning here. Be holy in action. Be holy in all your conduct. What is holy? This is a great question. Holy is a word that means set apart. It's distinct, like God and his goodness, his moral righteousness. It's different from the world, okay? So here's what's central here. What's central here is don't be like the world. God is not like the world. He's perfect, and for us as his people, we're to be distinct like him. It should feel weird sometimes being in the world. We should feel, like we saw in last week's passage, like exiles. We should feel like exiles, okay? That's the what. Be holy in action. How? Well, the first thing that he says here, a little bit before, is this, being sober-minded. So the Bible, the Bible's not actually anti-alcohol. I don't know if you knew this. In fact, there's like a purpose statement for alcohol in Psalms that says something like, and God gave wine to gladden the heart of man, okay? And so alcohol in and of itself is not evil, but there's just, there's actually way more passages about not being drunk, all right? And sobriety of mind is the, is the operating principle here. The how of being holy is sober-mindedness, because when we hand over our sobriety, whether that's to alcohol or weed or even like caffeine, honestly, you can be not sober on caffeine. You can overdo that and be tripping, all right? Um, <laughs> the, like the, when we hand over the sobriety, we're not ready to do anything. You can't, if somebody needs your help, if you're hammered and somebody needs your help, what are you going to do? Nothing. You can't be set apart. You can't be holy in the way that God's called you to be when you hand this over to substances or other. Like, yo, you cannot be sober because you're so sleep-deprived, so constantly, that you just can't even think straight. 
right? How many have been there, all right? This is all the stuff. Sobriety of mind is the operating principle that helps us answer questions of, well, can I smoke that? Can I drink that? Should I partake in that? Sobriety of mind. This is the holiness that God calls us to, all right? This is the first how. The second how is in verse 14. Look what he says here. By leaving former passions and ignorances. By leaving former passions and ignorances. Because when it comes to faith, all right, when we come to faith, we walk out of previous passions. What does he mean by passions? Desires. Things that we used to love. A lot of the stuff that we loved before we came to Christ, we still love and we should. But there's other things, our desires should change. What we want, what we're about should change. So should our ignorance, by the way. Stuff that we don't understand. Stuff that we don't know. All right? Um, I can remember my son when we potty trained him. He was, he was two. And, you know, he's growing up. He's ignorant of the idea that you do a potty on this chair. We call it the potty chair in our house. Okay? And when we told him, he bought diapers are done. And you're going to have no diaper all this weekend, and we're just going to blitz this thing, and you're going to get used to it. And he's like, he's standing there with his hands behind his back, and he's like, no. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, I know, I know you don't like it, buddy. I know you just wish you could go to the bathroom in your pants, but it's time to grow up. And he's like, no, I don't, I don't want to. And, I was like, and we're like, well, it doesn't matter, bud. You're doing it, right? So then he does it, and eventually he grows up, and now, praise the Lord, he's potty trained. His, his sister was one. She's not ready to, to be potty trained. She can't even pull her own pants down. She can't climb up the potty chair, but she's like, potty chair, potty chair, I want to do it. And I'm like, no, 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 you still need to poop in your pants. That's why it's there. You're not ready. Poop in your pants, all right? And the point is, the point is, is that the ignorance left. The point is, is that he was growing up, right? And so... We leave worldly desires. This is the second how, okay? And listen, by the way, your whole life, your whole life is going to be a war. It's going to be a war of things that you want that you shouldn't against things that you want that you should, all right? This is, the Bible has so much explanatory power here. The desires of the flesh, it's called, evil things that God has not created you for, versus the desires of the Spirit. Walking by the flesh versus walking by the Spirit. Your whole life is a war between these things, and as you progress, Lord willing, you're handing over more and more of the wrongful desires and allowing God to change your affections more and more for the right desires. Because, I mean, you know, what the world says, what culture says, you, know, you want that? There's a reason you want that. Go get it. Okay, talk about destruction. You looking for carnage? Go and, look, go and get anything that you want. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine that? But the Bible does not say that. The Bible says the opposite. There's things that you want that are going to kill you, that you're not made for, and there's things that you want that you should. All right? This, this is what the Bible says. And the how here is we're leaving our former passions, our former ignorances, our former desires that are not in step with God's spirit behind the end of the passage, 2.11, says abstain from the passions of the flesh. So we have to become self-aware of this. We have to become, begin to understand, oh, yo, this thing that I love, kind of used to love, is toxic for me. Weird. I'd never really realized that. You got to begin to get self-aware. Oh, yo, I was raised this way, and I saw my parents doing this. Yeah, that's, that's terrible. And I didn't even really realize that. Self-awareness is a big part of this here. 
leaving the passions of our former ignorances behind. Okay? And so the, what about the why? The what? Be holy in action. The how? Through sobriety of mind, leaving the former passions and ignorances behind. And the why is in verse 16. Why should we, um, why should we be holy in action? Because God is holy. That's why. But you might say, so what? God's God. I'm not. Why, if God's holy, should I be holy? Which is totally a fair question. And the reason, the first one you see is in verse 17 there. And if you call on him as father, and you see it again in verse 14, as obedient children, why should you be holy? Because God is holy? Because if you have faith in him, you're his kids. If you have faith in him, you're his sons and his daughters. You've been brought into the family of God. And if you call on him as father, we are to be like our father. This is adoption into the family of God. It's one of the most glorious metaphors in the Bible. The Bible's like, when you come to faith, it's like being adopted. God chose you, drew you into his family, and now you're in the family of God. And by the way, he's the king of kings, which means you're now royalty. And our lives should be in step with that. Our lives should reflect this new identity, this new reality of who we are. Why should we be holy? Because God is holy. And the thing that's so freeing about this is that God actually was holy and wanted you before you were holy. So when we struggle with sobriety of mind, when we struggle with former passions, former ignorances, stuff that we want that we know we really shouldn't want, but it tastes so good. When we struggle with that, you can remember that you had a father who adopted you before you ever turned from it. And so when you struggle to turn from it, you know he's not going anywhere. He didn't go anywhere before you did. Why would he go somewhere now? He's the loving God, and his love for you is unconditional if you put your faith in him. Okay? Imagine waking up every morning with the words from Peter here ringing out in your mind, God is holy, and I'm his son and his daughter. I call on him his father. I'm in the family of God, and that's going to shape my day. Imagine waking up with that in your mind every morning. So my question to us in relation to this first what, which is being holy in action, is where do you need to be different? Where do you need to be set apart when instead you're conforming? Where do you need to be transformed, as Romans 12 says, by the renewal of your minds instead of conformed to the world? Because we all have things. We're all in a different step of progress, right, of our, of our sonship, of our daughtership, growing up into the faith like we saw with First Peter, where we, we start out young in the faith and then we grow up into it. And we begin, like my son, to leave former ignorances behind. So what is God calling you to leave behind? Because we all got things. We all got things, and it's, it's for your good. Where does your affection, where does the things that you desire need to begin to shift in light of who you are? That's the first what, with its how and its why. Here's the second one. Verse 22, love one another um, earnestly. Earnestly can also be translated sincerely, uh, without fakeness, all right? You ever been loved fakely? Or you can see it in their eyes, they don't want to hang out with you, they're not happy that you're here. Yeah, they're okay, let's do this thing, let's have this meal together, but they don't, you know, they're not about you. Love one another earnestly. This is the call, the second what here. What should we do as Christians? What's love? I'm glad you asked, because just like holiness, it matters. Love is being other-centric. Okay, we're talking about actions. 
It's considering others more significant than yourself. Considering others more significant than yourself. Emotionally, it's affection. You, you're, like, you're fond of someone. You, you like them. Emotionally, it feels like affection, right? And in action, it looks like considering others more significant than yourselves. And we all have lots of things in our lives that we can point to and, oh yeah, this person loved me sincerely. This person loved me earnestly, whether it's a teacher. I mean, maybe we probably all have this Rolodex of teachers in our heads, right? From elementary school all the way through college, ones that were terrible and ones that were fire, Right? We all can just scroll through our heads and be like, man, this person, they gave me so much grace. I was such a moron in their class. And when I screwed things up, they still liked me, honestly. What a wild thing. They still liked me. And they were kind to me with grading. They, they, I could tell that they wanted me in their class. All right? Between, this is also really clear between parents and kids. Like my kids just, I mean, they're, they're two and three. They, they're, they're only dependents. Like every year when I do taxes, I'm like, I have two dependents, and they're so dependent, yo. Like I wake up in the morning, and Noah's like, Dad, where's my breakfast? I'm like, oh, I got it, bud. Finishes breakfast, Dad, where are we going to play? Oh, okay, we're going to go play, but Hey, Dad, when are we going to drive to the gym so you can work out and I can watch TV and the kids thing? <laughs> okay, but I mean, my whole life is centered around serving these kiddos, and you know what? That doesn't matter. It could be 10 times worse. My affection is still there. It's a weird thing. It's, you see it in that relationship, too. You see it in friend relationships. I mean, talk about some of the greatest joys, some of the highest highs in your life with friends, doing wild stuff together, you know, experiencing life, restaurants, school, low lows, high highs. I mean, the affection and the earnestness of love that you experience in friendship. you got to bury a body. There's a couple numbers you know to call. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, mostly. <laughs> Here's my point, is like with friendship, there's people that you know will do anything for you. I mean, talk about, talk about serving. Talk about you have a need. You got lots of friends, or at least a couple, that'll meet it. Right? We can see it. We can see lots of pictures of sincere love. But look, but look at this here. Verse 22, love one another sincerely. There's no qualifiers there. What do I mean by that? I mean, you don't just love the people you like. You don't just get to love your significant other. It's love one another earnestly. That's a very general command. And remember, his audience here is Christians. So technically what he's saying is Christians should love one another earnestly. Not just the people that we get along with, not the people that we get life from, not the people that we have most in common with, although that is easy and happens. It's actually everyone, okay? People that we should uh, develop an affection for, even if we don't We all have people that we just struggle with, right? But in the family of faith, what Peter's saying here, love one another earnestly, you should be able to desire an affection for anyone who loves the Lord. And should be, you should have a desire to serve and to consider others more significant than yourself for any brother and sister in Christ. This is what he's saying here, but how? Love one another sincere, sincerely, but how would we do that? Hard. How would we do that? Verse 23, through the living and abiding word of God. Through the living and abiding word of God. The Bible is called the word of God. And it's one of the things, literally, through which you will love each other earnestly. It's one of the things that, you'll, that will help you develop an affection and a sincerity, by the way. Because we can all taste the sincerity when it's there. 
the word of God is going is to be one of the ways how you do this. But not just the word of God in general. Look what he says in verse 25. What is the word of God according to Peter? And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Literally the gospel. Everything in the Bible is not the gospel. Okay, The gospel is the good news of what the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth to do. To live a perfect life, fully God and fully man, representing us, but also with God's authority to forgive sin, to go to the cross, to die for sin, because sin deserves death, because God's good and he's just. He died for sin on your behalf, which is then a gift of forgiveness that he gives through faith. This is the, this is the good news. And Peter's saying, the word that was preached to you is that gospel. And that gospel is one of the hows that you will love one another sincerely. Think about it. Before you came to faith, you were God's enemy, the Bible says. You had sin. You had evil. You were not stepping and walking in line with God's design for your life. And because God is good and perfect, he doesn't ignore that. So you were an enemy of God, and yet he came after you. You were an enemy of God, and yet he came after you. Talk about loving one another earnestly, loving your enemies earnestly. So when we have people that maybe it's not easy for us to love, maybe that's on them, maybe that's on you. When we have people that, it, that it's hard for us to love, when we think of the gospel and the richness with which God approached you as an enemy, not just, God's like, not up there like, yo, I mean, that person, he's kind of chill, but sometimes he's selfish. Like, it's not that. It's like, you're God's enemy, all right? And if he can do that, how much more can we for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling in process right alongside us? This is why the gospel is the how here. This is why the word of God, which is the gospel, is the how. Anyone can love their best friends and people they have a lot in common with, but the distinct mark of a Christian is that they love people that they don't get along with so well. They serve people that they don't necessarily want to spend tons of time with. They invite people that they don't necessarily have as much fun with because they understand that that's partly stuff going on inside of them and because God loved them when they were his enemy. This is why it's one of the hows. And what about the why? Why should we love each other sincerely, earnestly? Verse 23, you have been born again to the imperishable. This is one of the whys here. You have a new life, and by the way, you've been born again to something not perishable, but imperishable. That means it's, gonna, that means it's eternal. You understand how significant that is? This is what I'm saying. The one who sows their love, their affection, their service, their sincerity, will have a massive harvest of relationship in eternity because you can't take your money to heaven, but you can't take your friends. Did you realize that? You're not taking your things, but you are taking your people. If they call in Jesus' name with faith, and so the way that we invest, the way that we love earnestly now, you realize it in heaven. You see it in heaven. Here's what I mean. Check, check this out. Imagine there's a gal at a coffee shop that you, that you go to, okay? Imagine you get to heaven, and you see her. And you're like, yo. And you walk up to her and like, yo, you, I didn't realize you were a Christian. And she's like, yeah, I, well, when I met you, I wasn't. And you're like, what happened? And you're like, well, I mean, you used to come in with your friends, and you were always so kind to me. 
And you asked me how I was doing, and, and that was like a weird time in my life when you met me in college. I was, I was kind of a morose, and I was, I was honestly kind of mean, but you always come in and ask me about my day, dude. And so he's like, yo, good to see you too, bro. Hey, I just want to tell you, like, I'm so thankful for the way you treated me when we were in college. What do you mean? Bro, I was like, I was so selfish. I was the guy that didn't Venmo anyone back. <laughs> Yo, like, I loved money. And I, and I know that it was hard to, like, be friends with me. I know. And, and honestly, it took me years. I grew up with a family where my dad was never there. He worked 70 hours a week. And I I'd never, it, it took me a long time to begin to introspect as to why I also love money and that that wasn't fulfilling for me. But, dude, you invited me to everything. And honestly, I think one of the only reasons that I'm here is because you did that. Eventually, I took a job, and, um, and I, I found a great church, and I had some friends that really began to call me out on my arrogance and my selfishness and my greed. And, but honestly, one of the reasons I stayed in the faith was because you loved me so earnestly in college. This is what I'm talking about. These are the types of conversations that we're going to have in eternity, at least the first day. <laughs> It echoes into eternity. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. You can't take your money, but you can take your friends. Okay? Here's the last what. Verse 9, chapter 2. Proclaim God's excellence. We can proclaim God's excellence in the gospel generally, because what Jesus did in the gospel is incredible. But you can also proclaim his excellence with tangible, practical things that he meets you with in your day-to-day life, okay? I'm going to give you a wild example. When I was in high school, I had this pain in my back. I don't think most of you know this story. When I was in high school, I had this pain in my back. I thought it was because I was playing contact sports and doing wild stuff. And um, it didn't go away. And I was like, what is this? So I went in, and they found this uh, tumor, this big tumor. It was like a softball. And the guy was like, man, we're going we're gonna to have to, first we're going to radiate you and then we're going to give you chemo, and then we're going to cut out two ribs, half your lung, and a couple vertebrae. We're going to put a cage in there, and because it's around your spine, you're going to be in pain the rest of your life. You're going to, in fact, you're going to have to go on narcotic painkillers for about six to nine months, and then you're going to have to go to rehab because you will get addicted to them. That's how it works. And then you'll rehab off of them, and hopefully the pain will be gone, but your life's never going to be the same. And I was like, Well, so then, back up, not yet. (laughs) So then, I start calling out to God. And the Lord was like, um, he started to speak to me about my character. And he was using the pain and the suffering of the tumor to shape my character. And then he started dropping people in my life who had done alternative treatments, diet, supplement-based approaches, I did all this research with my mom on it, and eventually I was like, yo, I went to my neurosurgeon, and I was like, dude, I want to try, can I try this diet, like, before you, like, you know, got to do what you got to do, and he's like, yeah, I don't think it's going to work, but try it, and if it doesn't work, then you should let me go in, I was like, totally, so I went on this diet, January 1st, 2009, tumor was the size of a softball, and if you look at this image, That top left picture is before I started the diet. And you can see on here my little vertebrae 
See my vertebrae with the little spinal column circle? It's like a slice of my torso, okay? That giant white thing on the left is the tumor. Did the diet. 45 days later, scanned again. That is the picture on the right. Half of the tumor was gone after 45 days of diet and a lot of prayer. And then I got my favorite phone call I've ever got in my life. A neurosurgeon calls me up. Adam, what's up? Hey, hey, bud, um, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, dude, I'm praying. I'm eating this diet that I researched. <laughs> I know it sounds nuts. And he's like, bro, he's like, keep doing it because you don't want what I'm going to do to you. And I was like, thank you for saying that. <laughs> um, and uh, so then I kept doing it. And this is the first year. The bottom right pick is 90% of it is gone. The bottom right pick. From diet and prayer. I'm not saying that's going to happen to you. That'll probably help. I'm not an expert. I just was following the Lord, did some research, came up with a plan, and swung over the plate. And also, God, by the way, doesn't promise deliverance from the pains and sufferings of our lives. What's the third what? Proclaim God's excellence. You better believe that after this happened, you better believe I was proclaiming that about God. You need to be a witness. You need to testify to the stories of grace in your life. You need to tell people what he's done and what he's doing. Okay? I've told that story so many times. Called random people I've never met all over the country. Some of them, I think, even different countries in the world. And talk to them about it. Some of them Christians, some of them not. And every single time, you think I'm leading with, like, it's all about the diet. No, bro. I'm telling them that they need God. And yeah, sure, you should try this thing, do some research. Couldn't hurt. Okay? I get to proclaim a story of God's grace in my life. And you might say, yo, I don't have anything like that. MRI evidence of a tumor disappearing? What the heck? Yeah, you don't have that. God's writing a different story for you. But I guarantee you, you got something. I guarantee you, you've got things in your life that you can testify, that you can proclaim God's excellence about. And if it's not clear to you what, ask him. Scary prayer to pray. But you should ask him. And he'll show you. Hey, look at this. You didn't see this. It's kind of a big deal that I did. Oh, you're right, God. You've got things that you can testify about, okay? What? This is the third what. Proclaim God's excellence. How? I think we see this in verse 6. This is this whole section in chapter 2 about Jesus being the cornerstone that Aaron read, okay? And this is what I think of the how is. Understanding, first, Jesus' significance in your life. This is the imagery of a cornerstone, okay? He says you're a building. God's people are a building being built up, and Jesus is the cornerstone, the most important stone, the foundation, the thing on which everything relies, okay? Jesus is that. And one of the hows that we proclaim God's excellence is by understanding Jesus' significance and by understanding our identity. This is verse 9. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, set apart as God's possession. When you understand the importance of Jesus in your life, and you understand what he's made you, your identity, this fills you with a desire to proclaim God's excellence. Okay? When you understand this. In, in that tumor experience, 
I experienced Jesus' significance in my life in a whole new way. I'll never forget this one time. As it was shrinking, like the, the diet was working, I met this other dude, and he had the same thing as me. I just met this dude at like a party. Random dude, my age. He's like, I'm at, I'm at uh, University San Francisco Medical Center. Where are you? And he's like, I'm at UCSF too. And I was like, what are you there for? And he's like, this uh, giant cell tumor bone in my, in my torso. I was like, what? Where? He's like, it's growing off my rib, pushing on, on him, like your spine, I'm like finishing his sentences. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, dude, so did you do the treatment? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean though? I was like, I... The Lord basically led me to try this other thing, and it worked. And he's like, you didn't get the surgery? And I was like, no. And he pulls his shirt up, scar twisting up his torso. And I'm looking at my alternate reality. And I'm like, I can't believe this. And I, I just feel, I feel God's spirit whispering to my ear. I had mercy on you. I had grace on you. You, didn't, you know you didn't deserve this. I just did this because I love you. And by the way, that's not a promise on what he's going to do for you, but it is a promise that he's loving. And he's going to do stuff you never expect. He's going to do stuff you never expect. And it's going to lead you to proclaim his excellencies. When you understand his significance as the cornerstone, when you understand your identity as sons and daughters of God, chosen people, royal priesthood, set apart as his, you want to proclaim. Why? This is the last why. In verse 10, I just kind of said it. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The nature of mercy is that you're getting something good that you don't deserve. The nature of mercy is you deserved judgment and you didn't get it. The axe never fell. The axe deserved to fall for me with the cancer, with the tumor. And it didn't didn't. You think that's a why? It's a fuel for my fire. Changed everything. Changed my personality. <laughs> Started testing different on personality tests. Okay? Proclaim God's excellencies. As it says in Luke, those who have been forgiven much love much, and those who have been forgiven little love little. When you've received mercy and you understand more and more and more what God did when he gave you mercy, the depth of your sin, how much worse it is than you think it is, the more and more you love mercy, the more and more you want to proclaim, the more and more you want to love earnestly, the more and more you want to be holy for the God that did that for you. Jesus gives us, as Christians, our what and our hows and our whys. And it shapes who we are. These are some of the what's and the how's and the why's that Peter gives us that he was speaking to his audience about. Holiness and conduct, loving one another earnestly, proclaiming his excellencies. Jesus gave us each of these. And this is the Christian life of purpose. This is how Jesus becomes the cornerstone when we do these things. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, who is sufficient for these things, God? Who can do what your word asks us to do? Who has the strength to love as well as you? Who has the strength to walk away from their former ignorances? Not us, God. But through you, all things are possible. 
you who did not spare his own son, but gave us all things. You who gives us eternity, the people that we love, when they call on your name, we get eternity with them. God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for giving us what to do with our lives, our purpose. Thank you for showing us how and showing us why. There is nothing greater than you. There's nothing better than you. You're the meaning of life. Lord Jesus, you're the meaning of life. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.